All right, I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. Party Stargate people, we're back. It's been a minute. It's been what, a couple of months? Um, oh, life has been happening, that is for sure. Uh, unlike this episode, Red Sky, where as far as I can see, absolutely nothing happens. This might be, and bear with me as I say this, ooh, the worst episode ever made. Okay, now that's harsh. Now, obviously, emancipation, story-wise does not hold up. It's just egregious. Obviously, I've gone on at great length about that episode New Ground, which is season, what, season three, season four, where they go to that planet where there's Christian fundamentalists and they don't change anybody's mind. And then people get angry and try to keep them prisoner and then they just have to escape home. And there's absolutely no philosophical <laughs> point to the whole thing, or theological point. God, I hate that episode. And it's the lowest scoring one ever, with two points. But this one, Red Sky, probably comes in third as the most boringest of all time. Unfortunately, it got a few points along the way. Um, anyway, did I say hello in Kree and Yuhu? My name is Andrew. Welcome to the Kree Yuhu podcast. Uh... We're talking Stargate SG-1. We're uh, trickling our way through Season 5 very slowly as I, you know, as I happen to have time to do it, which isn't, isn't that often. Um, this episode was written by Ron Wilkerson. Never heard of him? Don't worry, you're not alone there. <laughs> He's um, apparently the one of the story editors for this season or... He's hanging out around the Stargate writing room, so they threw him one. They threw him actually. They threw in six episodes, um, and so he he is a little bit of a presence felt. But if this is the standard we're going to expect, oi, oi vey. Anyway, directed by Martin Wood, um, and it must be said, not done all, all that well. Oh, this was painful. So anyway, the most interesting thing in the episode is the very first, I'm going to say, two seconds, <laughs> where they actually tumble first person out of the uh, the Stargate, which is really cool. Um, first person camera shots of falling down the stairs out of the Stargate, and then turn around back and see everyone sort of brushing themselves off, and what, what the hell was that? And we're on a planet with the red sky. Um, and from here, the directing is very boring <laughs> all the way out. <laughs> Um, so we have that talk about, well, we have the supercomputer dialing thing that controls our gate, which isn't a normal gate controlling thing, that would be a DHD, so maybe we've overrided the thing in order to stop the rough riding, yada yada yada. Daniel sees a thing which makes him think it's an Asgard planet, so really, it's, it's one of the reasons it's boring is because right away we're retreating old ground, you know, we're 
we're talking out loud expositioning about how this is a planet just like Samaria, which we've already been to twice, I believe, with Thor's hammer and then Thor's chariot. Ugh. So these guys uh, come out from behind the bushes. They're the Freyre worshippers, not Thor, Freyre. And it's obviously we've landed on planet Puritania, all these kind of Amish-looking folks. Um, and they... Oh, my phone just went off. Who is it? So where was I? And sorry about that. Um, so what are they, they've got the, the annulus. That's a funny word, isn't it? The Stargate has been, has been called many things by many different different alien races, but annulus? That's just the writers having fun. <laughs> it sounds like anal something. So, obviously, in a crowd of uh, religious folks, there's going to be that one guy, that one doomsayer who says, you're here to, to foretell the end times, you evil minions of the Dark Ones. And uh, you remember the episode 100 Days where Jack O'Neill is on that planet? Again, we're retreading the steps of that episode. They're trying to convince everyone to leave because the meteor shower is coming. And there's that guy saying, this is our home. You're trying to steal our land. And Jack O'Neill says, ah, there's always one like you in a crowd, isn't there? <laughs> and uh, I can only agree. This uh, This episode is just like pulling out the same old tropes and throwing them together, cobbling them poorly together into a barely original episode. So, something, quote-unquote, something has happened to Red, Red in the Sky, and it's all very uninteresting, and uh, there's no real buy-in. They just sort of stumble onto this planet, wander around, meet some people who are very inconsequential, don't offer us anything. You know, normally when we go to an alien planet, it's like, oh my god, like, there's this alien mineral, we need to get a sample of this. And, um... Okay, phone is off now. Um, but yeah, but these guys, um, you know, there's nothing on this planet that, uh, that, that is intriguing, that's interesting, there's just... Uh, let's get a red sky. Did I do that? Um... It's it's mildly funny that they get called elves. Elves? It's not like Lord of the Rings or anything. But, like, you know. Eh. <laughs> um, there's some mildly, very mildly, blandly O'Neill, Daniel Jackson banter going backwards and forwards. Like, uh, you know, when they go to visit the Frere thing by touching the, the the monument and then going down into the, you know, the, one of those Asgard things. I am Frere! And then O'Neill's like, it's a recording. No, Daniel says, it's a recording. And O'Neill's like, really? All of these lines, they're so dead. O'Neill just wanders. Just mindlessly, purposelessly, aimlessly, listlessly wanders around this episode believing in nothing that he's saying, not caring, everyone else just trailing along behind him, like they're taking him for a walk on his special day out or something, and he's he's got some kind of deficiency. I mean, ugh. You know, you know this is a, again, mildly, blandly funny when um, O'Neill's trying to convince the congregation that they have to leave or whatever, and he's like, jump in here any time, Daniel, and Daniel is like, I don't think this is a good idea, kind of thing. Ugh. It's it's kind of going for a shorthand, because this is very, you know, they're playing their 
different archetypal roles here. O'Neill is very stupid, wants Daniel's help, Daniel's too smart to get involved. But again, we've seen this before, you know, Daniel's always saying, Jack, we should do this, or Jack, we shouldn't do that, we should be involved, we shouldn't be involved. They're always contrary to each other. O'Neill a little bit more animated about it, and it's just, again, retracing steps. We don't need to retrace that much if there's not really a point to this episode. Ah, I'm losing my mind, tearing my hair out. So, Carter, finally, and I'm really just sort of struggling to put plot points on the page here for my notes to kind of, like, keep this going along. I don't know what to say. Carter says, yay, we, we did actually cause the sun to go red because we traveled through it. So that's a slightly interesting premise. Um, I feel like there could be, you know, on the on the other hand, the village is only like 25 people, right? We only see 25 people at the very most. It's a very small village for the, for an entire planet. Um, what if it was like they came through to a planet and it's a giant metropolis and there's billions of people? Then we might have slightly more stakes. But I guess they're trying to say, like, uh, you know, if we get to know these people by keeping it small, limiting it to a few people, we kind of care about them more. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. So we go down into the Asgard communication thing. I am Freyr. For what reason have you sought my counsel and so on? We get to talk to the real Asgard and we have to argue and explain ourselves. So again, this is kind of... Okay, cool, we finally get to see the Asgard High Council. We talk about it a lot. Um, in the uh, director commentary, they talk a fair bit about how many puppets they had to get. <laughs> you know, all the different Thor puppets. Um, one of them that moves his body, one of them that moves his face, one of them that can only really turn his head but can't really move his face at all. You know, They're all sitting there slightly dressed up a little <laughs> to make it look like there's different Asgard. And... Um, all that, all the lines that Jack O'Neill has that have the potential to be funny are so dead, you know. Oh, I didn't recognize you. You all look kind of similar. Thor isn't here, right? You know, and, and we're supposed to be laughing because they do that thing with the, the, the editing. They, uh, they've kind of left room between people saying lines for us to be giggling. They're expecting us to be laughing, and so that's why they leave room, so that we don't miss the next bit of information. But it's like, no one's laughing at this. What would be funny is if... And I can't believe that this is not in there. What Jack went, Thor, buddy! And he's like, I am not Thor. And then he's like, oh, sorry, the guy behind you, Thor, great to see you! I am also not Thor, O'Neill. Oh, that's Thor on the end. <laughs> you know, see, I'm now I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cracking myself up here, and I'm just some fucking idiot who's watching this 20 years later. Like, oh my god, literally 20 years later. Um, this was aired in 2001. Um, and it's the year 2021. Um, so anyway, my point was, Asgard High Council, interesting that we get to see them executed very poorly. And, I mean, there's some funny-ish lines about, you know, O'Neill, maybe we're the petulant inferior race here, and, you know, little grey butts, but it's, ugh, so dead. Dead on arrival. Now, the new Samantha Carter plan is for more super-heavy elements to be sent into the sun. 
You can read on the wiki page, the fandom wiki page for this episode about why that won't work. Um, and then even that funny line that O'Neill has here is, is said so poorly and the way it's directed and edited in and the sound design and the, it's just so, so dead where he says, uh, yes, okay, Carter, go on back to the SGC and confuse Hammond. I mean, that, on paper, that's a funny line, but this episode doesn't have any snappiness to it. It's like a dreamy little morphine bliss walking around. Everything's floating and this this red isn't helping. The red sky is making everything kind of shimmer. <laughs> and like, ah, nothing matters. <sighs> anyway, finally, <laughs> I was thinking there was going to be no points for this episode. And I was actually very hopeful it would have no points because then it would truly be the worst episode ever. Worst <laughs> episode ever! But anyway, there's one point here for the front gate stock footage guys walking around because we can go back to Cheyenne Mountain, and then there's a you know con convincing Hammond, and um, then we the very seldom used um, subtitle three weeks later. It's not used very often. There's that episode with Daniel Jackson, Forever in a Day. No, oh shit, I've forgotten the name. The one where he has the vision, absolute power. That's what it's called, absolute power where we have, like, one year later as a time-lapse, you know, but that was obviously <laughs> all a dream. Anyway, three weeks later, a whole rocket has been built on this planet of the Katow, um, which is utterly absurd. <laughs> Ask SpaceX how, you know, they're churning out rockets as quick as anyone ever has in the history of Earth manufacturing, and... You know, the only reason they can fly one on short notice is because they're reusing them. It takes a long time to build this shit and assemble it and stand it upright and do all the tests. Um, all the checkouts. So, three weeks is all it took for a rocket to be disassembled, transported to Colorado, through a very small gate, reassembled <laughs> on a different planet. <laughs> and this is assuming, by the way... Not to not to sort of rain on your rocket ship ignorance here, per, your parade, but rockets to go into the sun requires an extreme amount of fuel, much more than that rocket has. Um, I guess they kind of explain that away um, by saying that this planet is quite close to its sun. I'm telling you, <laughs> however fast that planet is moving around the sun, and by the way, It'll be, because uh, it's closer to the sun, it'll be angular momentum's conserved, so it'll be moving faster. It'll be moving very fast. The rocket has to cancel out all that movement in order to fall into the sun. So that's what, in the order of hundreds and hundreds of miles per second? And a rocket can get something like, I don't know, 25,000 miles per hour? <laughs> So we're not even talking about, you know, per second or per hour. There's orders of magnitude missing here that this rocket doesn't have, but I guess we're not supposed to think about that. Why not have an Asgard beam the rocket in? Oh, of course, that would be non-interference. Anyway, there was kind of interesting in this episode that we were trying to call in a favor from the Asgard at long last, after everything we've done for them. And, you know, the conditions, not the conditions, the, uh, 
the relationship was supposed to be on good terms, but here there's a limit to it, or something. Or something. Anyway, the rocket is being assembled by Sergeant Siler, assisted ably by Major Wood, both of them carrying big wrenches. So five points and five points for those two guys. Major Wood, obviously the director cameo. And we have that chit-chat with Dr. McLaren, who's... Who? <laughs> what? <laughs> Apparently he knows Major Carter. There's no talk about them being previous colleagues or anything. I looked it up and he's not appearing or mentioned in any other episode. So if they're supposed to have a previous relationship, it's not done well in this episode. The writing, the way they wrote him in, like, there's nothing. There's no backstory, you know, like... All it needed was another line, just one more line where Samantha Carter says, wow, I'm amazed to see you out of your office. You know, in all the six years I worked with you, I never saw you leave your lab for more than 10 minutes, you know, and that's, there you go. You've got an explanation of how they know each other and stuff, but there's none of that. It's just like this guy, and we're doing him a favor by calling it McLarenium, <laughs> McLarium. <sighs> Anyway, the rocket gets blown up, or as we say in uh, rocket science, it's, it's R-U-D. The term for it is R-U-D, which stands for Rapid Unplanned Disassembly, which is a hilarious code word in uh, rocket science for, <laughs> for exploded, <laughs> rapidly and dissembled uh, in an unplanned way. <laughs> Um, and apparently we're told, and we do get to see body bags, that two members of SG-6 were killed in the explosion. And they're red shirts. They are. To show that there's, uh, you know, stakes and stuff. Completely plot device people. Anyway, how are we going on time? Let's have a look. Because this is very boring, and, um, probably I don't need to say all that much more about it. It's coming up on 20 minutes now. So Jack, obviously, in reaction to the explosion, goes all bloodthirsty, and it's very boring. He's finally having emotions in this episode, and it's it, it's just just gross and angry and very unattractive and violent and hmm yeah, not very heroic, not very heroic of our main character who is the hero of the show. I guess. I didn't need to see this scene <laughs> to be reminded that Jack O'Neill is a cold motherfucker. Um, but anyway, the, the, uh, the next option is we're going to relocate them and it takes some convincing of Jack by Daniel O'Neill or whatever. And it's like, why wasn't that option number one? We just, we've done that with a bunch of different people. That's kind of what Stargate does. It's the refugee resettlement program for victims of gold or other alien problems. Um, it's like they say in Men in Black uh, about what planet Earth is to the aliens. You ever seen Casablanca? Yeah, same thing. No Nazis. Oh. <laughs> um... So, anyway, we want to relocate them, but they won't leave, and right, they really won't leave, and all I can say here, and what I wrote down is, so what? Who cares about these people? Ugh. They're very dislikable. <laughs> Unlikable. I dislike them. 
everyone dislikes these people. And at this point, we're arguing about the principle of it. You know, Sam says, I press the button that, uh, that doomed this world. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not living this through Sam's perspective. We're not living through her desperation. We're not seeing anything. We're not getting any of this. We're just sort of being told about it and not shown. And the focus is on the, the obstinate guy instead of on character, which is like more to the point. You know, this could be redone a little bit by having Samantha Carter kind of being in a bit more of a frantic, desperate state and having to convince everyone around her to try harder when they only half believe her. That would be a slightly more interesting way of doing this episode, you know, having everyone else give up and she's like, no, no, you have to do this for me. You know, what about, what if the episode was about her calling in favors from her teammates and her earth mates? That's just an idea. Just spitballing here about how to make this episode the slightest bit interesting or compelling. Dear God. <laughs> so, Jack decides he's going to spill the beans um, and tell them about the Asgard and no one listens to the truth about them being aliens because no one understands because you know, blah, 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 blah. Carter's new plan, so boring to, uh, you know, what is it, cut the wormhole off? halfway and there's plenty of talk online again at the <clears throat> excuse me at the stargate.fandom.com slash wiki where you can look up all these episodes and read through there's plenty of trivia <laughs> about why this is a stupid idea because that if they do it inconsistently sometimes in stargate people jump through a wormhole and it cuts off instantly and we're supposed to understand that they the travel is instantaneous and then in other times they still allude to the fact and originally of course in the in the feature film the travel is supposed to take like 3 or 5 seconds or something depending on distance even though you only perceive it at, when you go through you perceive it as instantaneous travel and then there's other fucking very annoying um, inconsistencies that suggest that, uh, and I'm talking about the um, the, rec the more recent MGM online digital series Stargate Origins colon Catherine, that th there's a suggestion that when you step through the gate, you're conscious and you're looking at all the stars whooshing by. Surely, to fucking Christ, that is an artistic represent representation. <laughs> And you're not actually watching those stars go. Boom. And you're out. That. Oh my god. I need one of you people who are slightly nerdier than me to please clear this up with some footnotes and some citations for some episodes for me to watch to get all the info on this. I really am annoyed that I don't have the answer and that it's inconsistent. Which one of these three things is it? Is the travel instantaneous and the wormhole can be cut off immediately? Does the wormhole take three to five seconds or something? So if you cut it off halfway, you don't reach there and you reintegrate in the middle of space or something? Or is it that you're stepping through totally conscious and you're still, ta and you're still taking the time, all the three seconds? Ugh. <laughs> I'm annoyed that I'm so invested in this episode and its intricacies when I want this to be over. Let's hurry up and get done. So, 
Oh, we're, we are at the end anyway. So Carter's saying it didn't work, and then suddenly it's worked, and Carter says, well, actually, I didn't do it. The Asgard did it anyway, and Daniel says, you know, <laughs> something about faith, and, you know, the the, the people, the the Katao, they, uh, they, they chalk it all up to Freya, and in a way, they're not wrong, but, like, they are very wrong, and it's all just so lame. So here's my question that I ended on. How come the Asgard don't use this as a weapon? If they can beam or transport stuff right into the sun to make it go back to normal, presumably they can also do what Stargate SG-1 just did. Team SG-1, I mean. And send all these elements into a sun which makes it unstable and will wipe it out. So why don't they do that with the gold? This is my question. The Asgard are in a perpetual, not, you know, a conflict with the Gould that has been kind of kept at peace because of their treaty to stay out of each other's shit. But that's because, and they say it very explicitly in this episode, the Asgard High Council says, well, we can't, we can't piss the Gould off too much because we don't have the military capability to fight the Gould. So... For the love of Christ, why not just, you know, send a couple of ships around to gold strongholds and poison their sons? You know? And do it a little bit better than what SG-1 did by gating to this planet. Do it quicker so that the sun explodes. Or better yet, use the Carter Selmak Carter Gambit, where you send a Stargate into the sun or something. What What was that? <laughs> We're going to blow it up, remember? We're going to blow it up. The star. That's a really good way to eradicate the ghoul from the galaxies, to deny them any planets. <laughs> and while you're, while you're at it, wipe out their fleets that are orbiting these planets. Ugh. I'm so annoyed at this episode. It's so bland. It's really the chewy white bread of Stargate SG-1 here. <laughs> so the total is 13 points and just to remind you that was 5 points for Sergeant Siler, 5 points for Major Wood that's 10 1 point for Frank Gatestock Footage Guy and 2 points for 2 red shirts total of 13 very very fucking boring and in the commentary Amanda Tapping is there for some reason can this be over? <laughs> Please let this be over. Thanks thanks for listening. The next one is really fun. Rite of Passage. Let's get into that. Join me next time. Thank you. Cree you. Bye. Hi, I'm back. It's Andrew. I'm just going to clean up some of the math because I know some of you are total nerds and you were screaming at me as I got the math wrong in this episode. So according to uh, the internet, the National Radio Astronomy Observatory and a little bit of Wikipedia also... The um the orbit. Now let's say that uh, the planet in the in the episode Red Sky is orbiting its sun closely. Let's call it around about as closely as Mercury is orbiting our sun here, as an analog. Just to give you an idea. Um, the f f <laughs> apparently Mercury orbits at at like forty seven and a bit kilometers per second. So, 
that rocket would have to have the fuel and energy to move 47 and a bit kilometers per second in the opposite direction in order to get into the sun. Now, the, the rocket that they've built, if it was going to Earth orbit, the one that, you know, was disassembled and sent through to the other planet, Earth orbit is only, like, around about 7 kilometers per second. So, around about 7, which adds up to around about, you know, 25,000 kilometers per hour. Um, you know, I'm just sort of averaging that out. But my point is, there's like a, almost like a seven times the speed. Now, I understand totally that I'm screwing the math up again. <laughs> I'm just saying, my point is, if they wanted to use this rocket to get to their sun, the Stargate writers should have used a different uh, explanation. Instead of having the planet closer to their sun, it should have been further away. And then the demands on the rocket would be less because of the conservation of angular momentum. Okay, I'm going to stop trying to do math from here on out. Just no more math ever. <laughs>